Welcome to a podcast by Kaylee, the gateway to unlocking your unlimited potential. I'm creating an army of six and seven figure makeup artists, and I want you to join me. In this podcast, I'm going to be crushing gatekeeping, opening the doors to the knowledge you need and deep diving into the topics that can push us to the next level. Be prepared for epic guests and answers to the questions you have always wanted to know. No more small business, no more just a makeup artist. The beauty industry is a $250 billion industry and you're in it. Let's get ready to open those gates. This is a podcast by Kaylee. Today, please welcome Valentina, a hugely talented destination wedding planner based here in the UK, and I'm ever so lucky to say my friend. Valentina is the incredible woman behind the stars inside wedding planning and design studio specializing in wildly romantic elopements and intimate destination weddings. Truly, Valentina creates some of the most beautiful work I have ever seen in the industry. In 2022, she worked across the UK, Tuscany, Lake Como, Santorini, Mykonos, Crete, Mallorca, New York, and so many other gorgeous destinations. She's multi-published and has won Best Destination Wedding Planner in the 2022 Bride Lux Awards. She truly is a powerhouse. Today's interview is a little bit different in format to the others that we have done so far. We bring you a peek inside one of our conversations, less interview and more discussion. We talk about growing as business owners and people, our journey in the wedding industry so far, and how you have to make those all important mistakes to find your path. I loved this discussion with Valentina, which feels to me like two friends talking and reflecting. But we do look at how the wedding planner and makeup artist relationship can be improved and tips on how you guys can better cultivate and network with wedding planners. So I've done enough talking. Please enjoy this conversation with the wonderful Valentina. So obviously the very first question that I have to ask you is always going to be about your incredible story, which is one of my favorite stories of all time. Literally Valentina has done everything you can think of and has finally kind of found her space in this period of life. So Valentina, will you tell us about this extremely colorful, amazing history and how you've ended up as a wedding planner? Oh, Kaylee, you are so kind. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thank you for the intro, which is uh, undeserved. But thank you. So kindly deserved. Um, So I am a wedding planner now, but if you were to see my CV, you might be a little bit confused because I actually don't come from an events background. Um... And that was something that I really struggled with. You know, for a long time, I used to feel really embarrassed about saying that I hadn't, you know, trained for this um, for, you know, previously. I hadn't, I'm not one of those people who knew at five years old that I wanted to be a wedding planner. And that's, that's something, a bit of a complex that I had to deal with for a couple of years when I first started. But yeah, my background. So my adult professional career, I suppose, started as an astrophysicist, which I loved. I loved. I did astrophysics and physics at uni and I followed that natural path of going into academia. After that, I was invited to start a PhD and so I did. Didn't really ask myself the question of, is this what I definitely want to do? But it just felt like a natural path. And I think a lot of us can resonate with just almost following the path of least resistance at certain points in our lives. And then it wasn't actually until a very 
big personal earthquake in my own life that I moved on to the next stage. So my my mother fell ill with a brain tumor and I went to live with her to be her carer for uh, six months. Then she passed away. And when I came back, it just, I don't know, maybe some of you listening who have experienced grief can can relate, but it just felt like I couldn't go back to life as it was. I couldn't just press play on something I had paused six months before. Such a huge thing had happened in my life. And I think my perception of myself had also changed my priorities. And yeah, so I tried. I tried to go back to the the PhD. I tried to immerse myself in studies again, but it just didn't feel like it was mine anymore. I didn't feel like it was bringing me joy. So the next big career change was this one. It was me deciding that I needed to go find something. And because I'd always, always had this massive dilemma between science and art, I'd always loved both at school, picked science when I chose my university degree, but I always felt like I had this little what if in my head of like, what if I had followed an artistic career path? And so I thought maybe that's what I need. I need a creative expression to deal with who I am now and my grief and everything. So that's what I went looking for. And what's very funny is I applied to all kinds of things. It was almost like I had no idea who I was going to be next. And I almost kind of let fate decide because I applied to loads of different avenues. At one point I was going to be a detective in the police <gasps> academy. That's <laughs> literally all kinds of things. I did not know that. Literally the applications that left my desk were of all kinds. And then the one that stuck was this amazing uh, circus academy in Bristol, which is where I was living at the time. They were taking basically applicants to start the program. Um, Usually people who go to that are, you know, people who have done, you know, gymnastics since they were four and want to become circus performers. I arrived with a master's in physics and astrophysics and absolutely no, no experience performing. But I had been doing some like physical like classes and things in my own time. And that's what I used to choreograph something as my like audition piece. And they, they accepted me. So for the next three years, I was a circus performer. I was a trapeze artist, uh, which is what I ended up specializing in. And the really amazing thing about this is that I started that part of my life as a cripplingly shy introvert and someone who was dealing with the low, the lowest of lows of grief. And those three years basically rebuilt me as a person. I was, I had the opportunity to work with some incredible people, discovering what it's like to be out of your comfort zone and enjoying it. Um, I was able to overcome some huge fears and phobias. And at the very end of the three years, I choreographed a theater and circus piece that told the story of my mom's illness. And it was like this closure that I needed. (laughs) And that was, yeah, an absolutely pivotal, like core memory of my life. Following that, I was like, well, okay, now I'm, you know, I have a circus degree and a physics degree, but I don't want to be a circus performer forever because firstly, that career actually doesn't last very long because once you start losing your physical like fitness, you, you lose that career anyway. And so I was like, well, I've taken what I needed out of that. I've grown as a person. I'm past that stage. Now what do I do? Uh, so we moved to London for my husband's job and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get a real job now. I'm going to be, I'm going to use my physics degree and I'm going to get hired by a serious company. (laughs) 
I'm going to pretend I haven't been living in a circus for three years. And I'm going to make some money. So <laughs> that was my decision. Um, again, I applied to loads of different things, you know, the IBMs of the world. And, the, you know, I thought maybe someone who wants a numerically minded um, female, you know. So um, I ended up in the investment banking world. I worked for Citigroup and I was trading stocks for three years, um, which is ridiculous. <laughs> They loved that I came from a numerical background, but also had an arts degree because for them, it's almost like diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a girl as well, which is fairly rare. So yeah, that was a pretty strange three years. Did not enjoy it, but learned loads from it. Learned how to readapt myself into society, to have a really professional job. I learned to work with people who were very different to me. I was working with really high net worth individuals, just learning to like be more confident and own my space and just be there. And the grad program was crazy, like total hunger <gasps> situation. So I had to be really confident in myself and, you know, back myself, which is not something that I had ever been used to doing. And to this day, really, really struggle with. So honestly, these three things, all very different one from the other, but I can tell now what skills they've each given me that have given me the courage then to start a business and carry on as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. The final career change is the one that has led me to where I am now. So while I was at the bank, I was proposed to by my wonderful um, boyfriend. Started planning a, a wedding, absolutely adored it. Started working with a wedding planner and she noticed that I was the happiest when we were having conversations about wedding planning. She let me intern with her like secretly on the weekends while I was still working at a bank. And honestly, I fell in love with the industry from the client side and then got to know it more. And honestly, once I started thinking that that was a job I could have, I couldn't turn back. I was just completely head over heels with it. So quit my job at the bank, told them I was going to become a wedding planner and started my business the day I got back from my honeymoon. (laughs) Oh my God. So can I just say, I went through a complete, I've heard this story many times because I've listened to you on podcasts talk about it. I've obviously heard it face to face when we met and right there, my heart was beating so fast. I don't know whether it's because like, I might be a little bit nervous right now, but my heart was beating so fast and I was like getting emotional. Could you see my eyes going a bit like, don't cry because I guess I feel like as your friend, I'm, we met when you've very first became a wedding planner. We met in the very early stages of your wedding planning career. So I guess I've seen you a wedding planner to now, many years later. It's just such a journey. Like I can't comprehend it, Val. Me neither. (laughs) It's just amazing. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I do think one of the things that this has given me and, um, and I think it gives a lot of people in, in the wedding industry come from different backgrounds, don't they? And maybe this is something that your listeners can, you know, resonate with, but I think what this gave me was a resilience to change. And I've always loved change in my life. Like my, my parents worked for the embassy. So we changed country every three years when I was young. I never, I was never in one place for very long. And I think, I don't know, it, it left me with this belief that if I needed to be something else, I could, you know, that if things wouldn't, if this doesn't work out, I'll be something else, you know, and that's actually, it's actually kind of a relief to know that. I think if I had started this thinking, this is the be all and end all, this is what I've wanted to do since I was four. It's either this or I'm a complete failure of a human. I think that's a lot of pressure. And I think 
it's really important to know that you're allowed to reinvent yourself and you're allowed to become more of who you are over time. And, you know, there's going to be plot twists and it's, it's hard. Sometimes I think back and I think, wow, I failed three different things. But I also try and say, no, that's not what it is. They were stepping stones to, to getting where I needed to get. And it's important to remember that. A hundred percent. I think something beautiful comes out of every great failure. And I don't think they were failures. I think there's a lot of pressure probably from previous generations for us to decide what we want to do for the next 50, 60 years when we're 17 years old and we're not allowed to choose different things every decade. And we should be allowed to choose different things every decade. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be in makeup. I don't, I don't think I'll be in it forever. And that's okay. Like we are such beautiful humans who can experience loads of things. I think we should experience loads of things, you know? Totally. And if you have different interests, allow yourself to explore those different interests through time. See what happens. Just follow those paths and see what happens. Um, sometimes you're like, oh, backtrack. (laughs) 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 But sometimes something amazing happens and you know, even, even in really tough times, like when I think back, you know, after losing my mom and stuff, I really didn't know what was going to get me back up. And if someone had told me it's going to be circus, <laughs> I would have been like, what? <laughs> but I think it was because it just immersed me into a new way of seeing life. Should we talk about how we met? Yes. I think that would be so <laughs> fun because I was actually thinking this morning when I was kind of prepping for this, where did we meet? I know we met in a coffee shop. Where was that coffee shop? It's doing my head in. I can't remember it. You know, I don't think I remember (gasps) either, but I remember the coffee shop perfectly. Like I could literally draw it. Like I remember it perfectly. I remember you coming in with your little kit. So cute. (laughs) Oh, it was Halloween, I think. Oh, yes. Yes. And you had so much going on and you were going somewhere else afterwards, weren't you? And I was sitting there thinking, oh my God, is my eyeliner okay? She's going to judge me. (laughs) No. Honestly, I don't think I ever look at anybody's makeup unless it's really like outstandingly not well executed. And yours was very (laughs) well executed. (laughs) God knows what I looked like that day because I think I had been working that morning at maybe a wedding and then came to this coffee shop to meet you and then went to some sort of Halloween event till like midnight because that was like hardcore hustle mode at that time. Didn't know what I was doing, saying yes to everything. So do you remember why we met in the coffee shop? Absolutely. Yeah. So it was at a time I was very new and I was exploring what was then going to become, I think, one of the biggest tools of my business growth, which was the idea of creating my portfolio through photo shoots. And I remember that I had come across your work and I had loved it. And I remember that we had started talking about exploring wedding inspiration with a kind of <laughs> I don't want to say theme, but I want to say we we're both obsessive people. We were like, how can we do it in a way that is chic and stylish and exciting and modern and makes us feel like Disney princesses? <laughs> we were so little, weren't we? We were just so like excited to do new things and I think I told you not too long ago that I actually have removed those from my website now, which was really difficult because I think I clung to these shoots. So for some context, Val is completely yeah. right. We, I, I had 
done, I was doing a series of fairy tale shoots, um, styled shoots, bridal shoots, inspired by fairy tales, but also inspired by Disney. I had done two. I had done Snow White and I had done Ariel. And they were getting some good traction within the industry. They were getting published and stuff. And I always put the mood boards on Facebook. And I think I really needed some help at this time because, you know, doing makeup, organizing the day, definitely organizing the day is not my forte. And they had gone okay, but to scale those particular shoots, I definitely needed help. And I put this mood board on Facebook and Val graciously offered her help. And I thought, this is great. Like, I think. You didn't have much in the way of a portfolio, but you had beautiful, what, what you had done was beautiful. And yes, we decided to meet up in the coffee shop and talk about Disney. <laughs> I love it. And I love that we ended up with this amazing schedule of like, these are the next three years of our shoots. <laughs> All right. Sleep beauty. This one, this one, this one, this one. Um, honestly, it was so exciting for me because as a planner, like you just even if you get a booking, right, you get your first booking and then that wedding doesn't happen for another like 12 months, 18 months. And by the time you're desperately trying to like express your signature style to people, but you can't because you don't have a portfolio. And so I was really excited to get involved in some shoots and your mood board just lit me up and made me so happy. And honestly, I think also I could tell just from like your style and your wording and all of that, that we were going to get on. And so I was really excited to meet you. We <laughs> got on so well. And even though, you know, many years later, those shoots maybe aren't in our portfolios anymore because we've grown and we've evolved. I look back on them so fondly. What ones did we do together? We did Esmeralda, Belle, Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Which was probably the most interesting one. I feel like we also started a little bit of the planning for Aladdin. We did. We? Like we started like a little bit of that. We started finding some like venue locations and we started mood boarding for that. It's kind of, it does make me sad that it, that it, you know, ended up fizzling through. But, but I actually think they were immensely, I mean, to me, I'm so grateful for them and they were immensely valuable. They were really great, fun content, a great chance to like stretch our legs creatively. Mm. We connected with so many amazing suppliers yeah. while we were doing them. And I'm, I'm really proud of us. Like we took some really lovely comforts and turned into some gorgeous imagery. They all got published as well, didn't they? So I think it's one of those things like styles will always evolve mm -hmm. and and that's okay. Like, I don't think, I think it's important to look back at your early portfolio and just be proud mm. of the steps you were taking. It was so fun. Like we got alpacas for Esmeralda <laughs> and uh, sadly they got caught in traffic. So we never got to meet them, did we? <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember I got that text? We were like, the alpacas are on the motorway. They're not happy. We have to go back. <laughs> yes. Oh, so, so cute. Just important lessons about what it's like to bring together a team and what to do when things go a bit awry. Do you remember we had that slightly difficult relationship with a photographer at one point? You know, there's just lots of things that happen and we both learned and grew so much from that. Yeah. You start off thinking, oh, well, I am who I am, but you don't really figure out who you are as a creative until you start trying stuff out, you know? And I remember so many things about those shoots that made me so, so happy. Oh, I, I'm getting emotional. 
It was such a beautiful little, like it was the catalyst for our friendship. It was. And to many more shoots that came after that, you know, being able to leverage that experience and that portfolio and the contacts. And also just like, I feel like it was that series of shoots that taught me the power of shoots in general, just how much I was learning as a stylist and as a planner and like the etiquette of it and what things to do to be a good wedding shoot supplier and what things to to do to be a good shoot planner, what not to do, (laughs) what makes it tricky and how to align yourself with people. I think I learned tons about brand alignment and, you know, brand story and message and all of that. And every shoot after that was informed by how much we learned in those early ones together. So yeah, definitely the seed of something that will continue to to have an effect on my business for years to come, I'm sure. What was your favorite one that we did together out of interest? This is a selfish question from me. I still feel really, really strongly about Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. I loved that one. Yeah. It's not aged. That's probably the only one that hasn't aged, maybe. I think also just in terms of style, like I love the romanticism, the English garden, Mm. the colors that we explored. I don't know. I actually think it aligns with my own quite Mm. well. Uh, whereas for example, Esmeralda was really fun, but it explored a little bit more of this sort of carefree boho-ness, which isn't very me, but was really, really, as a really good practice mm. for me to, to style in that, in that space and with that brief, but the, the jewel tones and the boho-ness of Esmeralda, probably just naturally less of my MO. But again, I think it's really important to do stuff like that as well. Like I know that now, you know, six years later, however long it's been, I might say, okay, well, when people ask me for advice, you know, you say, well, you don't have to say yes to everything and you have to know what to say yes to. But I don't think that's true at the beginning. I think at the beginning, it's actually really, really important to try a bit of everything and to find out what makes you happy, what style is your signature. And I still think Sleeping Beauty is like a really magical shoot. I love it. I have really fond memories of that one because it seemed like we had a great florist. We had Rebecca. Um, the photographer was incredible. So it just seemed like the perfect amalgamation of just amazingness. So many things aligned for that one, didn't it? And the team, we was, I was really proud of our team as well because we had, we'd gotten a few people on board that were quite a bit sort of quite high yeah. caliber, weren't they? I was really, really proud and kind of nervous. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh such good times. So I thought I just had to touch on that, you know, like a little time of our lives. I would love to pivot back slightly, just rewind slightly to when you were talking about kind of all these transitions that you made and how you wasn't really scared of change as such because kind of your upbringing, you moved around a lot. And I think that is something that has served you so well. (laughs) We actually had a community question for you related to this. So somebody in the community asked, how do you get the bravery to pivot? Literally, you can, you, you can be anything and you can do anything. And that's, <laughs> it sounds really obvious, but it's actually immensely empowering to tell yourself that 
there's absolutely nothing standing in your way except you starting and giving it a go. And the worst that'll happen is that you end up having to try something else. Because, I mean, I don't know, I think, and this isn't, I don't want to say like, oh, it's easy, just drop everything and go. Like, obviously, that's not what I'm saying. Everyone's situation is so different. Your family situation, your financial situation, um, your emotional um, mindset, all of that is going to play a part. And you have to do it in a way that is, yeah, true to you and, and mindful of your own state of just your stage of life and all of that. But with all of that aside and all of that taken into account, you, all you can do is try. All you can do is do your best. And the next day, if the day before didn't go so well, all you can do is try again. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. I'm a big subscriber of some of the mantras of mindfulness where, you know, people just say, you know, start again. And that's okay. If the day started badly, that doesn't mean at midday you can't do something that will change the day around. And your life is the same. Like just because you're in a place that doesn't feel completely you, there is actually all to be gained. The reward is proportional to the risk. If something feels really scary or difficult, it's because you're fighting for something that's worth fighting for. So on the tough days, that's where the courage comes from. It's knowing that you're creating something for yourself and you're the only one who can do it. And you're going to be amazing at it because it, if you genuinely put your passion into it, there's nothing to stop you. <laughs> wow. I already know that's going to be like a preview snippet. <laughs> <laughs> it's not easy though. Like I, I, I don't want that to sound like I'm belittling mm. anyone's um, journey or anyone's obstacles everyone, everything everyone is going through is just as valid and just as hard, but yeah, you can do it. There's nothing, there's nothing you can't be. There's nothing you can't do. So beautiful. Thank you, Val. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) What does your business look like now? Well, you know, you've caught me at a bit of of an interesting time because it feels like the last six years, I think it was probably three years in that I figured out what my niche was going to be. I leaned into it with all my heart and all my marketing and all of it. Really, really embraced it. And that niche was micro weddings, particularly destination weddings abroad with sort of micro guest lists. Loved it. And I'm feeling really, really happy with that niche. I'm hugely enjoying the fact that I'm starting to attract couples with exactly those values and exactly those visions and those dreams and those passions that align with my own. Travel is a big part of my life and always has been. So connecting with couples who value that as much as I do fills me with so much joy. So I'm I'm definitely in a place where I've I've gotten to know who, you know, the direction that I want to take. And that's really special. But I'm also at a stage where I'm kind of thinking, all right, well. In my sixth year, like, what does what does a decade of the stars inside look like? What does the next decade look like? You know, I'm I'm 35 now, so you know I'm not no spring chicken. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you know what what it, what does my life look like? I don't have kids. I don't have pets. I have a mortgage, but we have a life that's actually quite free in the sense that you know my husband every now and then talks about doing a secondment in Norway for six months or why don't we just move to Scotland for a year? You know, we have that kind of lifestyle where we are very lucky to to not have, I suppose, things that are 
tie us or, 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 I mean, there's obviously emotional attachments and all of that, but if we were to choose to change our life around a little bit, we could, you know, we would be free to, to make that decision if it felt right. But from a personal perspective and, and how that merges with my professional life, like, I don't want to, I don't know, what does my life look like when I'm 45 or 55, you know? So I'm definitely at a bit of a stage where I'm starting to assess whether my brand needs a little bit of maturing and elevating, whether I need to be connecting with an audience, maybe that's a little bit different, just shifting my audience a little bit, like still holding onto those values, but maybe entering a slightly higher kind of tier of the, of the, of the wedding market. I don't like calling it the luxury mm-hmm. market because I think that word has a bit sort of different connotations mm-hmm. with different people, but just um, really leaning into this space where people are going away with their loved ones for three or four days. They want to have an incredible experience abroad and I'm their wedding planner, but I'm also their travel consultant and I'm their confidant and I'm their stylist and their designer. And I become sort of a bit more of a, just a bit more of a mature role, I suppose, when, when supporting my couples. The next step for me is probably a little bit of a brand refresh, figuring out my, when I look at my website now, it feels like I've slightly word vomited all over. <laughs> it feels like every time I've ever had a thought that aligns with my brand, I've written it down and put it in there. <laughs> that is not what a website should be. Just here, full disclosure, I, I did my own branding. I did my own website. I did all of that. I didn't outsource any of it. I haven't to this point. But I'm wondering whether maybe that's the next stage is investing in someone with a little bit of a wider perspective who can help me step into that space with a little bit more confidence, a little bit more maturity. I don't know, like a sleeker brand, a little bit more put together. So I don't know, it feels like a bit of a transition mm. where I'm I'm happy, I'm excited, I'm definitely in a niche that I love, but I'm thinking like, I don't know, I need to let the stars inside grow mm. up a little, you know? And this year isn't mad with work. It's it's busy, don't get me wrong, but it's not as as challenging as last year was. And so I'm thinking maybe I'll have that time, a little bit of headspace to work on the business in equal balance and try and figure out what the next steps are. Love your honesty with that because somebody could have easily come on and answered that with like a lot of, you know, not including some of the things that they're currently going through, not including some of the things that they're realizing right now in the present. And for full disclosure, like you, you know this, but maybe the listeners don't know this, but in my mentorship program, I do a website week, week six, and I use three websites as an example of like the website (laughs) that everybody needs to aspire to. (laughs) And your website is consistently like you must get a little a little hit (laughs) twice a year there must be like a a nice jolt in your analytics because every student is like oh my god you know what's really funny i went to this workshop the other day where i was um a dear friend of mine jen ferrose who's a copywriter was running a workshop and i told her i'd give her a hand on the day so i went along and i participated in all the workshop exercises and one of them was like describe if you were to have a shop what would your shop look like you know because it's kind of making you think about how your website kind of is like a shop so the first word i wrote down was minimalist and she nearly fell off her chair she was like who are you what have you done with Val? <laughs> I'm in shock. Oh my 
I know. Me too. Me too. And I think it has to do with my own personal sense of life. Like I used to be a massive hoarder. Like I used to hold on to every single item that ever passes through my life because I was like, I might need this. And I used to fill my walls with a million things. And it was just, I was that kind of person. I had at one point in my room in New York City, I had a whole wall covered in an installation of Altoid mint metal covers, which I had made. I mean, literally. But now there's hardly anything on my walls. And I'm all about negative space in my house. And I just want white calming things. And I think it's just maybe, I don't know, I hit 35 (laughs) and now I just need some space. (laughs) But I definitely feel like I've grown as a person, as the spaces that make me happy have changed. And so similarly, I think my brand needs to reflect that I need to let it evolve with me. And I would love my website to actually have a lot more negative space, a lot more breathing room, maybe just like really intentional bits of copy that say the same message as they say now, but just a, that little bit more, I don't know, grown upness about them. Um, and just maybe curate some of the imagery a little bit better. I want to make it a simpler process for my couples to go through the website and feel just welcome and zen and relaxed and it's easy um which, because that reflects what i hope to create for them as a wedding planner as well you know and what i don't want them is to come away from the website like wow my head hurts she sounds like a nice person but i'm not sure <laughs> i can read her proposal because it's 65 pages like it has pros and cons because sometimes i get inquiries from people who clearly have read every single word and they'll say things like oh i love how on page three you say this and on page five you say this and on page seven you say this or people who say who who reference a really specific bit of my website which there's no way they would have seen if they hadn't read the whole thing and that is firstly so touching when that happens and it's an immediate yes it's an immediate click where they basically know me already when we have our first consultation, it's supernatural, but it's like, it's, it's just really organic and relaxed because they've already taken the time to get to know what I'm like. And I think what my website does do well is prepare you for what it's like to, to chat with me and work with me. That is what I'm like. And that's okay. But I'm also not the same person I was five years ago. And, you know, not throwing shade at my current brand, but, you know, I just think it needs, I just think it needs a little bit of reflection. Mm. Definitely can resonate to that a little bit because I just redesigned my website in January. (laughs) I will say this might help you when you come to redesign yours, but my old website really gave me the ick. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Sadly, Mm -hmm. like I would go on it and I would feel like this, like, like, oh, and it was quite, you know, I teach. So when it came to website week, I would say to my students, you know, ignore mine. I couldn't be... (laughs) educating and teaching with me feeling that way about my own website. And I also feel like very, very similar to you. I was not the same person. I I designed that website when I was like 25 or six and I'm now 33. I think I'm 33. (laughs) Anyone else lose count of how old they are? (laughs) I always need to check. I'm like 1987. And I I think, yeah, I really resonated with what you said because I'm not that person anymore. Of course, I don't connect to that website. And, you know, a little while ago, I became quite 
disenchanted with the wedding industry because my brides at the time, they were lovely and they, you know, I don't regret a single booking that I got, but they, there was not a connection there. There was something I was just missing out on. And I just felt a big disconnect from the industry as a whole. Um, because I think, yeah, I was going through that transitionary time and it came to January and I had a bit of time on my hands and I redesigned the whole thing with how I feel now as a 33-year-old woman who's now an educator and is in a different space. And my ideal client is very, very different to my mid-20s ideal client. And I have to say the results from that vow have been amazing. And I really am excited for you to maybe get some of these results because every single bride, I love them. I love them. They are everything I want and I connect with them and I, I just, they're just what I've always wanted. And it's, it's interesting that we had to go through that to get there, you know? I'm so excited for you. This is <sighs> wonderful. And I think honestly, it's, it's the message everyone shares, which is what you put out there is what you attract and what you get. Right. And you can't expect to be considered you know, a luxury brand or an experienced professional or someone who knows what they're doing if your website doesn't feel that way. And I'm not saying yours was, but that's how I feel about mine. And it make, I think when I look at it, it looks, to me, it looks quite young now, which it's not a bad thing. Like I think it's got a lot of passion in it and that's a good thing. But um, I think now when I show up to, you know, a client consultation or a meeting, even something as simple as how I dress now is different to how I dressed five years ago. And I think everything about your brand, we are, we are our brands, aren't we? We are the people that our brands are an extension of us. And if, if our, the, the earrings we buy and the bags we buy and the dresses we buy are different, if the way we decorate the spaces around us are different, I think our websites are just a little teeny tiny crumb of that, you know, and they need to reflect that. And I think it's so wonderful that you did it and you've seen the results and I'm so proud and excited for you. I think I've also, you know, I've never invested in that like financially and I don't know if I'll be able to this year, but I hope so. And I think there's also something psychological about that. The same way, you know, when we buy a nice dress for ourselves and we feel good and we go out and we feel like ourselves, I almost think something about investing in your own branding just gives you that little bit of a like, yeah, I'm worth it. You know, like I'm, yes, I'm a CEO. I'm a business owner. I should be investing in stuff that's going to pay off over the course of time. And yes, I'm worth it because I'm creating the life I love in a sustainable way. Like it's, it's a decade ahead. I, I was thinking recently that I would actually be really excited to let the brand expand from weddings to also include things like, you know, brand styling or brand event, brand launches or more commercial stuff, or even something really cool like catwalk styling or theater styling, you know, all these things, which they're not, they're not, they're not the wedding industry, but I think they share some really interesting um, features with it. And I would love to test myself in some of these different realms and, and bring what I know about event planning and styling into that. But my current website isn't going to attract that. And I can't expect it to fall into my lap if I don't do something about it. So I'm going to do something about it. Yes. Oh, so excited for you to, I don't know, I'm just so excited to see it because everything you produce is like chef's kiss amazing. And I still am obsessed with your, your current website. But I know the next one is going to be even better. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by the Level Up Club, 
my monthly membership for makeup artists. Imagine a place created with done-for-you monthly resources and coaching, literally everything you need to create and scale a profitable, thriving makeup business. Well, it exists, and it's called the Level Up Club. I am so proud of this membership. I literally poured my heart and soul into it. Inside, you will find monthly Canva templates, monthly stock images, social media calendars, email templates, workflows, pro program lists, agency lists, monthly coaching and conversations with the people who can help smash gatekeeping. I'm talking agency owners, PRs, top makeup artists and experts. They're all inside. And not only that, but monthly in-person events. We have already held portfolio days, headshot days, branding days, and so much more is coming. The club is taking the mystery out of making money. Your makeup business doesn't have to be make-believe, and I'm showing you how. And guess what? It's only £30 a month. In London, that's literally two hot chocolates. I'm not even kidding. So come and join us, the only membership I promise you'll ever need. Now, back to the pod. So last year, you had the busiest wedding season, probably like most of the wedding industry in general. I know I had one of the busiest wedding seasons ever last year. And I know that just personally, and I hope you don't mind if we go into this, if you don't want to go into it, just cut me off right now. But I know personally, this definitely had an impact on your exhaustion levels and your work-life balance and things like that. I think a lot of people can definitely resonate with this. And I know a lot of my community in particular, this is something they're trying to be a little bit more mindful of going into the next wedding season. So I just wondered if there's any tips or anything that you're doing differently this upcoming wedding season to just take care of yourself a little bit more and and not fall into burnout. Yes, this is such an important question. Uh, Last year, I'm really proud of last year because I did more weddings than I'd ever done before and more destinations than I've ever done before. Yay. And I got to the end of the year and like we all did, I made a little reel to summarize 2022. I looked at the reel and I was like, holy crap, how did I fit all of that into a year? I was so proud. So proud. To the point that it's made me feel like, am I going to have as good a year this year? But anyway, we can talk about that. That's a separate story. But I was really proud. But honestly, I think the problem with this hindsight, like rose tinted vision is that we don't think about the cost of things. At the time, I was literally in this tunnel of wedding after wedding after wedding. And I was not delivering my best work. Because although I was giving it all of my energy, my energy was drained. Creatively and physically, I felt like I was, you know, don't get me wrong, the weddings all happened and were wonderful and nothing went wrong and the clients were happy. But I felt like I wasn't being my best self or giving my best work or being, I don't know. One of the things I really pride myself on with my business, I hope, is to try and give couples the love and affection they deserve and the care. I want them to know that I'm there for them and I'm always there for them. And although I'm their wedding planner, they can also speak to me if they're just having a bit of a wobble or they're feeling a bit hard about, I don't know, a difficult conversation with their parents or, you know, like the wedding planning journey is so emotional and I am so honored to be a part of that. And I think we become partners, you know, in that planning and sometimes that support 
takes different forms. And I want to be able to give my couples that unlimited amount of time and support whenever they need it. But last year, I just was not able to be there for my couples like I wanted to be. And it resulted in delays in planning. And, and, you know, again, things got done, it got sorted, solutions were found. But I know that I wasn't, I wasn't living up to the caliber of service that I want to give. And so that's a huge, huge lesson I've taken with me. There is no point in creating the business of your dreams and connecting with the clients of your dreams if then you're not living up, you're not doing it justice and you're not living up to the standards you set yourself, you know? So I feel like I've come into this year with a huge appreciation of that. And being a successful wedding planner doesn't mean filling my year with weddings. It means that every conversation I have with my clients is the conversation they deserve. And I can't do that if I'm exhausted. I can't do that if I'm traveling back to back. So what I'm doing differently this year, I think, firstly, I have a little bit of a different perception of my time. I used to just, whenever I booked a wedding, I used to put it in my calendar. It's like, all right, well, the wedding is, you know, the 21st of May and I need to fly in on the 20th of May in whatever cost-effective way I can, sleep if I possibly can, run a wedding, fly out the next morning, having done a clear up that probably took me to 2 or 3 a.m., get home and then fly the next day to somewhere else, you know? And I, and I used to think of it as this like self-contained, like there's the wedding day and then whatever terrible physical turmoil I need to get through, through to get to the wedding and run it is my problem. But I'm trying not to think of it that way anymore. A wedding is not this like isolated day. It's basically my entire physical and emotional well-being is tied to that wedding for weeks ahead of it and the week after inevitably because of how much the communication spikes ahead of the wedding because of the physical exercise that a wedding is for me the emotional roller coaster of the day before the wedding and increasingly my couples are having multiple day weddings which means i'm running not one event but maybe three and i can't think of it as just like yeah val just whatever you need to do whether or not you sleep you got to do your work show up do it come back carry on i can't do that so I'm building in buffers now in between weddings, like before weddings and after weddings. And I've accepted the fact that my to-do list needs to include recovery from those weddings. It didn't used to, which seems crazy, I guess. But last year was anomalous because, and I'm sure we all feel this way, we were all just trying to get through, right? Trying to fit in all the postponements, trying to do whatever, bend ourselves backwards for our couples to make sure everyone could get married. Um, with the aftermath of COVID. And this year is a little bit less of that, which means there's space for us to give ourselves a little bit more grace and a little bit more breathing room um, and understand that my time isn't just, you know, the 20 hours I'm on my feet on the wedding day. I have to, my prices need to include the fact that I basically give up my life for like a week around the wedding. And that's not even including all the planning hours, but I just mean like physically, in wedding season. I was so low last summer. There were moments where I was really ill and just pushing through, not sleeping on like, I had my first ever energy drink last summer. Wow. <laughs> because I was like, I physically can't get out of bed. And the videographer, Russell, was like, I need to give you this monster drink. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> just working on adrenaline, being absolutely exhausted. 
having no time to actually share time off with my husband or my friends or my family. That's not what this is about, right? What we're doing for ourselves. We're creating businesses that bring joy to others, but it has to bring joy to us. And we have to, we have to create schedules that allow for that. So I'm being much more intentional with my schedule and how close weddings are to one another. It's not always possible, of course, because I can't just say, oh no, sorry guys, you can't get married that weekend. I'm recovering. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I can't say that. If people want... So for example, in May, I have two weddings, which one is on the 12th, one is on the 21st. That's quite close because they're in two completely different parts of the world. And one is in the US, which means I'm going to have a lot of jet lag um, to and from. But that happened because there wasn't the the one on the 12th was actually a postponement still. So there's a little bit of, there needs to be that flexibility of saying like, all right, well, when things have to happen, they have to happen, but you can't make those exceptions every time. That's what I did last year. Every, every wedding I was like, oh, well, just this one. (laughs) Yeah. And then you get to the end and you're absolutely dead. So I think, sure, you have to have that flexibility. Every job has its crunch times and you've got to put that work in. You ha- your to-do list has to include time for you, time for recovery, time for friends and socializing. We live very isolated business owner lives. We need to connect with others. We need to refill our cup. And we need to have time for some creative projects too. You, uh, Speaking of shoots, I used to do a shoot every month, maybe in the first years of my business. I did like 12 a year. <laughs> Last year I did none. I did zero, zero last year. And it absolutely broke my heart because it's something I adore doing. And it's, it's one of the ways that I grow as a planner as well, like connecting with new vendors. And, and there was none of that. And I think you have to carve time for the things that help you grow as a business owner that aren't just the work that you're getting in. So I'm doing that this year. I've committed to two workshops abroad and I've launched with two other wonderful pros, launched this like wedding, like event professional networking thing that we're going to run seasonally. And again, that's just a labor of love. That's not for profit. That's just for, for us to do something that we feel passionately about. Feeling fulfilled isn't just the money coming in or the bookings on your diary. It's about how much you're growing as a person, personal development. You can't sustain a a fulfilled life without personal development and your work needs to allow for that. So Mm. trying really hard this year to do more of that. I'm very happy to hear that because I know how tired you were last year. I know how it affected so many, because it has a knock-on effect, doesn't it? It has a knock-on effect for every single part of your life, your personal relationships, your relationship with like my relationship with Robbie, your partners, everything, your relationship with yourself and how much self-love you can give and your wellness. My self-worth was shot by having to live out of a suitcase basically without clean pants oh no (laughs) no like when do you do laundry if you're just going from one place to another and when do you sleep and when do you go for a walk when Mm -hmm. do you bake a cake you just have to life is made of all of these things and we need to create a balanced life in the way that is right for us yeah i'm looking forward to that this year 
just to see you and hopefully everybody, because I know this is like a industry wide thing. Everybody was left very, very overworked last year. So just here's to a bit more purposeful resting, purposeful saying yes, and allowing for that time in between bookings. You know, I fully realized maybe like last year, I fully realized I work on by Kaylee five days a week. That's kind of my Monday to Friday. And I love that. That's the I'm a Monday to Friday kind of person. I just love that routine. <laughs> and then I would do bookings on the weekends. I would do brides. And then I would think to myself, I'm not having any days off. Like, you know, even though a bride isn't a whole day thing, like you or photographers, it's still you're working in some way on those days. So this, this literally this week, I had a bride on Saturday, Saturday just gone. So I took yesterday off. I mean, I didn't really because I took that um, crazy supplement that made me furiously tidy the house. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the intention was there. <laughs> Good intentions are the first step to everything. <laughs> so here's to a bit of rest this year, right? Yeah. So let's actually touch on networking a little bit because this is something I think you are absolutely epic at. I just think this is kind of your thing. I mean, you briefly just touched on, you've created a network group. This is something I don't know about. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a very, very new project. Um, me and a stationer and a cake designer, we've decided that we, we got together for um, like tea one day and we were telling each other about recent things that we had joined, like memberships and stuff. And we were just saying to each other, like, yeah, sure. Some of these memberships are worthwhile, but then the networking events that these memberships come with don't spark joy at all because they're super overwhelming. They're really big, or maybe they're a bit more ostentatious than we are as brands, or maybe they're just, I don't know, the, the, the values and the priorities are a bit misaligned, or we just feel like we can't be ourselves when we go. And it's really like, we feel really nervous. And we said, well, wouldn't it be lovely if there was something in the industry that was just a little bit more intimate, like just really relaxed, really welcoming, really thoughtful. And we were like, well, let's make one. <laughs> so we've launched something called Nourish Social, which is a seasonal supper club where wedding professionals can go and eat together in a super informal, relaxed environment. We had our first one last week and I'm still like, still speechless at how wonderfully it went and how great the feedback was. Um, I'm so, so happy and so proud. And it was actually really special because I got to style a room for 22 people to eat, thinking exclusively about what it feels like for them to sit down and enjoy it. Like really thoughtful things that I don't get to do for my job. Like I hand painted napkins for every single person just because it made me happy to do so. And I wanted them to feel special. <laughs> Um, and I just think like, these are the things that we need as, as creatives as well as to go to an event and feel like we are appreciated and we're valued and we're amazing. And we're part of an industry full of talent. And that's what we wanted people to come away with, like refill their cups. Um, anyway, side, side tangent, but it's made me really, really happy because it's got me, it's the first time that I've planned and styled an event for wedding pros. Um, and it was really nice to do so with two other co-hosts as well, because we were 
constantly brainstorming and stuff. And it's one of the creative projects that I've given myself leave to spend time on this year. Um, and although it's really hard, like I'm always, I'm always fighting the guilt that when I'm working on that, I'm not working on client weddings, but I am growing as a wedding planner and event planner while I am doing those things because I'm working in new venues, working with new suppliers, styling new spaces, planning like new things. So it is growing my skills. I have to accept that being creative and giving like nourishing creativity is part of being a better artist, you know? And so, yeah. That's what that was. <laughs> oh, I love that. I can I come? Yes, please. Oh, it's just—it's not like exclusive or anything. It's ticketed. Anyone who wants to come can come. We don't want to make it like, you know, just anyone who's free on that day and wants to come can come. Do you have an Instagram for this? This is for my own selfish reasons. <laughs> it's brand new. It's super cute. It's at nourish.social. It's a brand new, teeny tiny little account, and. You'll see a little photo in our last post of our event last Thursday. Um, and it was just, it was really, really magical. For this first one, we did it in London and it was very like fine dining, like tasting menu because it's all about the seasons. But for the next one, we want to do something a little more informal, uh, maybe a bit more like interactive dining. And because it's going to be in July, we want to make it all about like self-care and wellness. So yeah, I'm excited. And I think there is one relationship that not that's not really been touched on, and that is the relationship between makeup artist and wedding planner. So when I first came to London, this is before I knew you, Val, I thought in my little lizard brain, let me just outreach every single wedding planner in London and just introduce myself to them. You know, regardless, like now I would give the advice to my students, you know, make sure your ideal clients align, make sure your brand ethos is aligned, yada, yada, yada. I just outreached everyone, Val. <laughs> and obviously this is, I, I don't necessarily think this is the way to go about it, um, like a mass blanket email. And I did meet some amazing wedding planners and one of them I still work with to this day. But I would say it's a relationship. I mean, any supplier and wedding planner relationship, I think we can have some crucial insight from a wedding planner today on how to best cultivate this relationship. So I guess what I'm trying to ask the long-winded version is <laughs> how, as a wedding planner sitting in your seat, how do you like to be approached? How do you think is the most valuable way to network, to build relationships? How can a makeup artist find a wedding planner to work with? And it be organic? That's such a good question and not something that I think there's much transparency in the industry about. I think we have such a privilege as planners that we can connect with amazing suppliers, we can understand their work and their needs. And I can try and understand each supplier's ideal client and try and match them with them. And it's a, it's a privilege, it's an honor, but it's also not what we aren't is churning out weddings, connecting people with whoever's out there, if that makes sense. The work that I do as a planner is hugely about matching couples and vendors. For me to be able to do that successfully, I need to understand the couple, which is obviously my role. And then I need to have a network such that I can think about people whose style, whose brand ethos, whose ideal client, whose geography, whose budget, whose style is aligned with the couple. 
the only way I can do that is if I have all of that information or if I've come across someone's work and have a sense that they might be right, but I can gather that information from them. So I guess maybe one of the conceptions that people have about planners is that we always work with the same people. For me, that's not true. I do, of course, have a beautiful little um, Excel spreadsheet full of names of people that I'd love to work with and who I'd be delighted to recommend to my clients. But I, that's only a starting point for me. I will always go on a search to find people tailored to that couple that I may not have worked with before. And if it feels right, and I do recommend someone that I've worked with before, it's not because I've worked on them before, obviously it, it's a bonus because for me, it gives me that extra peace of mind of trusting them and knowing they're going to do a fantastic job. But it's not that we just copy and paste lists of approved vendors and send them to couples in that way. So when I get an email from someone that says, dear sir, madam, here is my work. I would like to be on your approved list of vendors. That doesn't spark a whole amount of joy. <laughs> and unfortunately, that, does, that isn't actually going to help me connect you with somebody um, because that's not how I work. So I suppose to answer your question, there's multiple things. I think firstly, as hair and makeup artists, if you can attend events that you know are going to have a really nice mix of different supplier types and planners and that the idea doesn't cause you too much anxiety, go for it. Because actually I love meeting other suppliers in person and it gives me a really good sense of their vibe, how they are as people, how they work, what makes them happy. And I make notes every time I meet people at events like that. And then I keep those notes in said spreadsheet. And when the time comes to find a hair and makeup artist for a couple, I think, oh, who have I met? that like has got that same energy that's going to like connect really well. So in-person is obviously really powerful if you can do that. But the next best thing is email. I don't think it's a bad thing to reach out to wedding planners. I get a couple of intro emails per day from different supplier types and I love it. I'm really honored. I'm really flattered when I get them and I answered every single one. But I will say that there's ways and ways and... Again, the dear sir, madam, not awesome. <laughs> if you haven't taken the time to get to know a teeny tiny little bit about me and what I do, then it kind of gives me a sense that maybe this email has gone out to hundreds of people and that it's not actually that you value a partnership with me. It's more that you're just, it's kind of a bit of a numbers game throwing spaghetti at a wall. But, um, you know, not a bad thing. Definitely worth doing. Just take a few minutes to find out the name of the planner. Maybe um, if there's something about their work that stood out to you or that makes you feel like you'd be a really good fit, just say something. Just it doesn't have to be like, I'm not asking for like ego stroking at all because I think actually it can come across quite fake. Just a little something genuine about like, oh, you know, I actually feel like your weddings really represent the couple in such beautiful ways or, oh, you've worked in some really cool destinations. Like I'd actually love to do more international work, that kind of thing. Um, doesn't have to be massive, but it just gives me a little bit of common ground on which I can be like, all right, this is what makes that supplier click. And that's how I can take the, the relationship forward. I would also say in your email, just giving really consistent and clear information is super helpful. Let's just take an example of the fact that I, let's say, do 10 weddings in a year, but let's say that I do 10 weddings this year and I already have five for next year. So let's say I have 15 weddings at this given time. And in those 15 weddings, each wedding has a team of 20 to 30 suppliers. And each of those suppliers, I am emailing on a 
weekly basis, as well as all of the clients. And on top of that, I get intro emails every day from vendors introducing themselves to me. As much as it means loads to me and as much as I want to give time to every single email, it does help hugely if the email is quite sort of concise to the point with information that's easy to read and easy to find, because then I can just really easily be like, yes, I'm going to save this person for that client or, oh, I don't think I have a client for this person right now, but I'm going to save them in my pros folder that I'd love to work with and come back to it next time I'm looking for that particular type of um, supplier. So as a hair and makeup artist, the really, really helpful things for us to know is planners are the type of work that you love doing. So the style of hair and makeup that you enjoy doing and are looking to get more of the areas that you cover, because a lot of hair and makeup artists are quite local. And so it's good for me to know if you match a client from a geographical point of view. Um, the type of wedding you're looking to get more of. So if you, for example, destination weddings or micro weddings or, you know, big, beautiful, like Asian bridal parties, you know, like whatever it is that you are wanting in your portfolio, that's really helpful to know. And having an idea of pricing does help because most of my clients do have a budget to respect. And so for me to know what your starting prices are for bridal services and bridesmaid services allows me to do some quick maths and just be like, all right, I've got a client who's got seven bridesmaids and the bride. They're going to want hair and makeup for all of them. This is the total. Is that in budget? Yes, no. The answer is yes. I will put that hair and makeup artist forward. So a little bit of that is really helpful. And then the last thing is your Instagram profile, your like contacts, like super easy to find your website and Instagram profile, easy to click from the email so that I can go straight to seeing your portfolio immediately, getting a sense of the visuals of your business. And then I can mentally save you for the next client for which you're going to be right. So in a long-winded way, what I'm saying is, yes, reach out to wedding planners, but do just a teeny tiny bit of homework about whether they align with you and your business. Teeny tiny bit of homework about who they are and what they work on. And just have a template that you personalize that has just a really good, concise amount of information about what work you want to do, how much you're charging, what you cover, and then leave it to us to match you with the right people. So yeah, that's definitely a really helpful thing for us. (laughs) Oh my goodness, Valentina. I would have loved that advice when we first I'm met. I'm sure you did that though, didn't you? I'm sure, I'm sure you did. Yeah, it wasn't completely blanket. You know, I definitely said who they were and I mentioned some of the work that I really liked on their website. But I think my my mistake was I, I did every single wedding planner that was here. And obviously I worked with some of those planners and they were some of the, sadly, worst weddings that I've ever worked on because that was not my bride. That just wasn't the bride for me. I wasn't a match for that, but I was trying to fit the match for that, if that makes sense. One question I do have just to follow on from that, would you say having a website for a makeup artist is a must have? If they just sent you an Instagram, it wouldn't make the cut, right? It's not a hard and fast rule. I, especially for example, in Europe, I know quite a lot of hair and makeup artists who just have a phenomenal Instagram profile and don't actually bother with a website. I think it's also a cultural thing, like what the industry is like in the area you work in. It's not like an automatic no, but it is a bit of a red flag for me when there isn't a website to, to look at. And 
clients do get a little a little nervous when there isn't a website. There's just a sense of professionalism and established kind of business sense that comes with having a website that I think couples do get a little a little twitchy about and for good reason. I think it's important. I mean, just for you as a business owner, you should have a website just in case Instagram explodes. <laughs> but um I would say like Instagram also, yeah, like curate that, enjoy it, use it as a shop window portfolio. Probably I would say DMs aren't the best way to um, to get in touch with a planner. And I may be speaking out of turn here, but for me, it's a little tricky when someone does reach out to me as a DM. What that means is I read the DM, I answer it, go to their Instagram profile, screenshot it and make a note on the screenshot physically that says, you know, hair and makeup artist doing XYZ, available XYZ, send that to myself via email. Then I have to put that in a spreadsheet. It's just a lot of steps. And if you catch me while I'm at a wedding or I'm traveling or I'm doing something else, it might get lost. And that that's really heartbreaking. So I would say if you are looking to make connections with wedding planners, for me, email is is my love language <laughs> because it means that everything is in my inbox. I can flag it if I don't have time to reply straight away, but I will always reply. That is a promise. It's super important to me. DMs are just a little bit tricky because they need that extra step for me to make sure that I'm keeping track. <laughs> yeah, I completely agree. And I wish, honestly, I feel like I could talk to you all day and I have so many more questions, but I feel like, can we do a part two? Let's do a part two. Can we do a part two? Because I just feel like I want to touch on your destination business. Like obviously destination is something you're so passionate about. And I want to talk about the dream team that you currently work in. And there's so many other things. So absolutely. Absolutely. That's the promise. So to finish. Yeah. I have a little kind of, it's not really a game. It's just a little quick fire round called Busting the Gate. You know, I really am not a fan of gatekeeping in the industry. I think we are better and stronger if the knowledge is free for everybody to access. So I'm just going to ask you some really quick fire questions. I mean, you can elaborate on them if you feel like you want to, but are you ready to bust the gate? I'm ready. Okay. What is the number one thing you think made a difference to your business and success? I think the number one thing that made a difference to my business was uh, when I stopped trying to be the wedding planner for everybody. I feel like I was doing that to start with. I was trying to be um, bits of jack of all trades, like super mainstream, both with my imagery and my content and my um, copy as well. And it wasn't really until I decided that I'm just going to stop putting on a persona. I'm just going to be who I am. I'm going to lean into the work that makes me happy. I'm going to just be my dorky self and let it happen. <laughs> and that's when I started connecting with the clients that really, really, really just made my heart sing. Not that I have clients that didn't, you know, mm -hmm. I adore every single wedding I've ever done and I'm so proud of them and I wouldn't change a thing. But you, there's just something that clicked probably about three years in. And I think it was, and I accepted that I could just put myself out there as I was and just let people connect with that. I love that answer. Very, very powerful. What is one tool that you couldn't live without in your business? Dropbox. <laughs> a good I'm one. literally constantly checking. I have Dropbox on my phone. And so many times I'm like, I'm out and about with clients at a venue visit. And I'm like, oh, I just need to check the contract for the florist and what it said about the florist access or into the room or whatever. Constantly checking Dropbox. 
the cloud is my life. (laughs) (laughs) That needs to be a quote of the the podcast. (laughs) The cloud is my life. (laughs) Not sponsored by (laughs) Dropbox. I feel like we've answered so many of my busting the gate questions in the podcast. (laughs) Okay. What is one key thing to getting started in the destination wedding industry? I think, and I'm going to echo a little bit of what Storm said in your last episode, but I think honestly, you can't expect to be seen as a destination supplier if there isn't destination work in your portfolio. I didn't start getting destination inquiries until I took a leap of faith in a Santorini shoot, which Storm talked about last time. You can talk about travel until you're blue in the face, but until clients start to see that you are genuinely the kind of person who is confident and familiar with traveling around the world and making magic and creating around the world, they of course, are going to struggle to trust you in doing that. So I think it's just really, really important if you want to get into destination weddings, just start doing destination work, whether it's, you know, a little bit of like voluntary work for some things that feel right or create an opportunity for yourself that's sort of a reduced fee or just make it for yourself, like create a photo shoot. It doesn't have to be massive, just something mini. Even the behind the scenes of you in and out of airports and going to locations around the world, it shows clients that you share the lifestyle with them. You are doing the globe trotting that, that they love doing and they need to connect with you on that level. Not, not, I don't, I'm not saying pretend I'm saying do it because you love it and it will come. Really good advice that we will definitely dive into on our part two, mm-hmm. I think, because there's so much to be said about that side of things. Final question. If there was one key takeaway that the listeners who are mainly makeup artists, but there's also a lot of kind of entrepreneurs who are listeners as well. If there was one thing that they could take away today, an actionable step that they can go away and do to fulfill their dreams or get a booking or whatever, you know, whatever it takes, what would that piece of advice or that action step be? Mm. Oh, there's so many, but I think I might go back to what we were saying a little bit about us as brands and us as um, business owners, I think today, open up your website building platform, whatever it is. If you have access to the back end, just open it up. Read your website from start to finish and ask yourself if you are genuinely 100% proud of everything on that website. And if there's something that you can just delete today or add today that makes you happier with your website, that's one step closer to connecting with your ideal people. It doesn't have to be a massive change. You don't have to spend hours and hours tweaking your website like I do, but um, just go in and find a little like sentence that feels a bit outdated or a, a photo that no longer represents what you want to do. Delete, delete. <laughs> Keep it trash. See what happens. See if you feel better. I think it's really important. I love that. That's a really good one as well. I think even now, I feel like I am, I am a hundred percent happy with my website. But I think you always need to see it as your shop front, and it needs to go in and be dusted occasionally, and the windows need to be cleaned, and you need to give it a little bit of love and wipe off the spider web. So I think that's great advice. Thank you, Val. <laughs> You're welcome. Where can everybody find you? 
Of course. Well, so I do hang out on Instagram a fair amount, not loads, but a little bit. So if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm at the stars and sigh. And if you want to get to know way more detail about me and my work, <laughs> you can check out my current website, <laughs> which is the stars You're in for a long read. So bring a cup of tea or something. <laughs> um, and uh, if you have advice on how I can shorten the text on my website, let me know. <laughs> No, no. It's going to be the end of an era when that changes. And you're forgetting one crucial thing. You have a podcast. I do have a podcast, which I uh, loved starting up in lockdown. Went ahead for months and months and months of wonderfulness. And then I kind of stopped when weddings got busy again. So it's only just been picked up again. There's only been two episodes of the new series so far. Um, but yes, it is something that I'm working on again. So I would love, 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 love to um, have any of you would, that would like to come over and have a listen. Um, it's just called the Stars Inside Wedding Podcast. So you'll find it on any podcast platforms that you use. And if any of you listening are thinking that you'd um, you enjoyed it and would like to have a chat, come on, because I always love interviewing wedding suppliers from all over the industry. So just get in touch. Do it. Do it. I've been on Val's podcast and she makes you feel amazing. And I hope today I was able to emulate a little bit of how warm and fuzzy you made me feel on your podcast. You're a superstar. I love you. It's amazing. <laughs> So thank you so much for being so gracious with your time because we've been doing this for an hour and a half. So <laughs> thank you so much for coming on today. And please, 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 let's get together for part two because I feel like we only touched the tip of the iceberg, right? I think so too. And I would love to have the chance to chat more about the destination wedding side and like the work-life balance side. There's lots and lots of things that I'm super passionate about. And I'd love to chat with you about if it's helpful to your listeners. Absolutely. Let's do it. So until next time, everybody say bye to Val and we will see you next time. Bye. You have been listening to a podcast by Kaylee. Thank you so much for tuning in today and being on this mission with me to self-improvement and taking steps towards financial empowerment. If you liked what you heard today, be sure to follow me on the gram at by Kaylee Designs, where I post pretty much daily. I would also love to hear your thoughts, feedback and energy. So please do leave me a review on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you are listening today. In the meantime, I want you to go forward, believe in yourselves and be the change you want to see. Bye guys. We need like a... We do. There you go. Tonight, you've got a sound. <laughs> Let's do three of them. <laughs> now you need another one. Because that one's just good Okay. One big clap. Okay. Sorry if that hurt your eardrums. I'm sorry. Why do I keep talking? <laughs> uh, the one. Anyway, let's just, it's fine. I could spend 20 minutes figuring out where this was. I'll do a really long one. I'll do a really long one. Okay. I like that. Okay. So last year you had possibly, are you going to stop laughing? <laughs>